Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik. Welcome to another Tax Credit Tuesday. The Novogratik Report on Tax Credits is presented by Novogratik & Company, LLP. I invite you to visit us online at www.novoco.com to learn more about our firm. Our website is information about our accounting and consulting team and the range of services that we offer. If you'd like to speak with someone about how Novogratik & Company can assist you, please give us a call at 415-356-8000. Today is Tuesday, September 15, 2009. I'm in Washington, D.C. this week to attend a Housing Tax Credit Association board meeting and conference. I'm also meeting with several members of Congress and their staff. This week, we have breaking news about a proposal from the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. The proposal is to discontinue, yes, discontinue, its hold harmless policy in calculating income limits for the Section 8 program. While the income limits for low-income housing tax credit and taxes and bond properties wouldn't be directly affected by this proposal, several other federal housing programs might feel the effect. This week, we will also provide a summary of a mortgagee letter issued by the Department of Housing and Urban Development. This letter encourages the use of housing tax credits in combination with HUD FHA-insured loans. This week, we will also present a quick update on the industry consensus group that formed to support the Low-Income Housing Tax Credit Program. And finally, we'll review the latest Recovery Act news. Let's get started with our breaking news about HUD's Hold Harmless Policy. Yesterday, on September 14th, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development published a notice inviting comments from the public on whether or not it should discontinue its Hold Harmless Policy for determining Section 8 income limits. Under the policy, HUD maintains Section 8 income limits at the previously published level in cases where HUD's estimate of area median family income, housing cost adjustment data, or changes in calculation methodology would otherwise lead to an income limit that is lower than previously published. The previous limits are kept in place until such time as income limit calculations produce increases. In recent years, including fiscal year 2009, HUD has implemented this hold harmless policy to avoid jeopardizing the financial feasibility of existing housing projects in instances where program rents were tied to Section 8 limits. HUD says the principal group of properties that rely on HUD's Section 8 income limits for the determination of maximum rental rates are a group of properties that HUD has dubbed, quote, multifamily tax subsidy projects, or MTSPs. This category includes multifamily rental housing projects financed with low-income housing tax credits and tax-exempt private activity bonds. Maximum rents for units in MTSPs are generally 30% of the HUD-published Section 8 income limit, multiplied by a factor that is based on the number of bedrooms in a unit. Without HUD's autonomous policy, when Section 8 income limits fell, the maximum rent that a private owner can charge low-income tenants in MTSPs also fell placing a financial strain on existing MTSPs. Accordingly, HUD held Section 8 income limits at their existing levels under the Hold Harmless Policy. The Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, or HERA, changed the tax code, implementing a project-level Hold Harmless provision for existing MTSPs. In the September 14th notice, HUD says this precludes the need for it to continue the policy for the benefit of MTSPs. HUD says that if it decided to discontinue its use of the hold harmless policy, MTSPs are protected by the new statute from decreases in income limits and rents. However, in the September 14th Federal Register, HUD says that maintaining artificially high income limits may have an adverse effect on other federal programs. 
Specifically, HUD says that higher income limits increases the number of eligible participants, making it harder to target limited housing resources to those most in need. In the notice, HUD says that more than 99% of HUD-assisted households have incomes below the extremely low-income level, which is 30% of area median. As such, it says that modest decreases in the Section 8 income limits resulting from this change would have minimal impact on families residing in assisted housing. HUD acknowledges that other programs that use its Section 8 income limits to determine program eligibility may be affected. In addition, HUD notes that determinations of difficult-to-development areas, or DDAs, for the LHTC program would be affected by the decision to discontinue HUD's Hold Harmless policy. DDAs are areas with high ratios of construction, land, and utility costs to area median gross income, and collectively may not include more than 20% of the population of all areas evaluated under the statutory formula. HUD says that the Hold Harmless policy may prevent increases in this ratio for areas that would otherwise experience decreasing income limits, making them less likely to be designated as a DDA. In the notice, HUD specifically invites public comment on whether these programs would, be, would better target persons and communities with the most need if HUD discontinued the Hold Harmless policy and allowed Section 8 income limits to fall in accordance with the statutory and regulatory formula. HUD has not indicated whether or not it will definitely discontinue the policy, but it is requesting public comment on whether it should. Details on how to submit comments about whether HUD should discontinue its Hold Harmless policy can be found in the September 14th Federal Register. The notice can also be found online at www.tashcredithousing.com. Comments will be accepted until October 15th. Any change in HUD's Hold Harmless policy would become effective only upon publication of a future notice by HUD. The Novogratic LHTC Working Group will be submitting comments. If you have a view, pro or con, I invite you to share that view with my partners, Jim Kroger and Mike Morrison, in our San Francisco office. Mike Morrison heads up the working group, and Jim Kroger is actively involved with the working group. Let's move on now to a discussion about HUD's letter encouraging the use of housing tax credits with its FHA insurance program. On July 29th, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, issued Mortgage E Letter 2009-24. The letter implements changes mandated by the Housing and Economic Recovery Act of 2008, also known as HERA. That law requires HUD to take certain steps to make it easier to use low-income housing tax credits in combination with Federal Housing Administration, or FHA, multifamily programs. Currently, an estimated 10 to 11 percent of FHA-insured projects use housing tax credits, and HUD says it hopes to increase participation beyond that amount. The first change is to eliminate the subsidy layering certification requirement previously needed if FHA multifamily mortgage insurance was used. The second change affects the mortgager's obligation to certify actual cost upon completion of project construction, rehabilitation, or repair for mortgage insurance transactions involving low-income housing tax credits. The letter says that projects with FHA mortgage insurance and tax credits can be exempt from the cost certification requirement if HUD determines at the time of firm commitment, that the ratio of loan proceeds to the actual cost of the project is less than 80%. This exemption applies to Section 213, 220, 221D3, 221D4, and 231 FHA programs. At this time, only applications with firm commitments issued after the date of the letter, July 29, 2009, are eligible for cost certification elimination. 
HUD says that it is considering an industry group request to move this implementation date back to the HERA effective date of July 20, 2008. The final change eliminates equity escrows for certain FHA-insured projects with tax credits. Currently, an FHA-insured mortgager is required to deposit sufficient cash in escrow to assure project completion and payment of certain expenses. But when tax credits are combined with an FHA-insured mortgage, HERA prohibits HUD from requiring an equity escrow or other form of security, such as a letter of credit. However, HUD states in the letter that a, quote, appropriate amount of equity must be invested at initial endorsement and that an expenditure of 20% of the total equity at the time of initial endorsement is sufficient to assure that the tax credit investor and mortgager relationship will be maintained. HUD also indicates that exceptions can be made. A copy of the letter can be downloaded from www.hud.gov. HUD says that questions about Mortgagee Letter 2009-24 should be directed to Joseph Seeley, Director of the Technical Support Division in the Office of Multifamily Housing Development. He can be reached by phone at 202-402-2559. Now, let's talk about the latest developments in the campaign to advance three consensus proposals related to the low-income housing tax credit. In a press release distributed last week, members of the Affordable Rental Housing Action Campaign shared an update on the group's first joint effort. First, a little background. The Action Campaign, or A-C-T-I-O-N Campaign, is a grassroots effort focused on stimulating investment in affordable rental housing and is led by a national coalition of cross-industry organizations. ACTION is an acronym for a call to invest in our neighborhoods. The goal of the campaign is to restore the amount of affordable rental housing built, rehabbed, and preserved annually in communities across the country. The campaign has developed three consensus proposals to allow these developments to secure financing reactivate rental housing investment for the long term, and bring back the LIHTC to its full potential. The proposals are, one, a one-year extension of the LIHTC exchange program, two, a five-year LIHTC carryback of unused credits for returns filed in 2009, 2010, and 2011. The carryback would only be allowed to the extent the taxpayer reinvests 100% of the benefits, and three, a change to the passive loss rules that would allow some S-corporations, LLCs, and closely held C-corporations to report less taxable income by investing in the LIHTC. As part of the five-year carryback, I should note that the group also suggests a carryback of LIHTCs of up to five years for new investments as they arise, and the carryback would apply for the full 10-year credit period. The campaign contends that these proposals would stimulate affordable rental housing production while creating and saving tens of thousands of jobs. On September 3rd, the group met with Capitol Hill staff members to discuss the set of industry consensus proposals related to the housing tax credit. The proposals have also been submitted in a letter sent to Congress. Reports from those meetings indicate that the conversations were fruitful and valuable feedback was provided. We will continue to track the progress of these discussions and the status of the group's proposals as we keep you updated in future podcasts. We will also report on the results of my meetings in Washington, D.C. this week and next week. To learn more about the proposals or to join the consensus group, please visit www.rentalhousingaction.org. We also invite you to join us in San Francisco in just over two weeks at our annual Long Housing Tax Credit Developers Conference. These three proposals and much, much more will be discussed. Mention this podcast and receive $50 off the registration price. 
Finally for today, we have a summary of a report released by the Treasury Department that highlights the impact of the Recovery Act. As part of an effort to highlight how the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act is revitalizing communities across the country, the Treasury Department released a report providing state-by-state data on Treasury program funding. The report issued on September 4th details funds provided to states, local communities, and families through a variety of programs. Highlights of the impact from Treasury's Recovery Act programs during the first 200 days include $66.1 billion in estimated tax benefits provided through the various tax provisions that are being implemented, $502 million in payments made to promote renewable energy production, and $2.3 billion provided to 37 states to spur to the development of affordable rental housing. The report also provides information on Build America bonds, New Markets tax credits, and Recovery Zone bonds. A copy of the complete report can be found online at www.taxcredithousing.com and www.energytaxcredits.com. In related news, the California Tax Allocation Committee announced last week that it will conduct mandatory, yes, mandatory loan workshops for Recovery Act fund recipients. The California Tax Allocation Committee, or TCAC, will present two ARA loan workshops. In a memo released on September 11th, TCAC announced that all applicants that have received a preliminary reservation of ARA funds are required, yes, required, to attend one of the workshops. The first workshop will be held in Sacramento on Monday, September 21st. The second workshop will be presented in Los Angeles on Thursday, September 24th. My partner, Jim Kroger, and others on our staff will be attending these workshops. The workshops will provide an overview of the loan process, disbursement procedures, reporting requirements, and federal requirements, including Environmental Review, Davis-Bacon Prevailing Wages, and Section 504 compliance. To learn more about the workshops and to download a copy of the memo, go to www.taxcredithousing.com or you can go to the TCAC site at www.treasurer.ca.gov. That's www.treasurer.ca.gov slash C-T-C-A-C for California Tax Credit Allocation Committee. One final note before we wrap up for today. I'd like to alert listeners to a hearing schedule for this week that may be of interest. The House Committee on Financial Services will hold a hearing tomorrow, September 16th, to discuss proposals to enhance the Community Reinvestment Act. Reports indicate that Congresswoman Edie Bernice Johnson will present testimony. Congresswoman Johnson sponsored the Community Reinvestment Modernization Act of 2009. It is also expected that National Community Reinvestment Act Coalition President and CEO John Taylor will testify. The hearing is scheduled for 10 a.m. in the Rayburn House Office Building, and a live webcast of the hearing will be available via the committee website at financialservices.house.gov. We will bring you a report on any notable developments from the hearing in next week's September 22nd Tax Credit Tuesday podcast. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's report. Please join us again next week when we will discuss legislation in the House that is supported by a bipartisan energy working group. Yes, a bipartisan energy working group, both Democrats and Republicans. The measure would accelerate offshore drilling and use the government revenue from offshore drilling to extend several energy tax credits through 2019. We will also provide a preview of the 16th Annual Affordable Housing Tax Credit Conference. The conference will be held early next month back in San Francisco. Next week, we will share a sneak peek at some of the exciting discussions and events we have planned. 
The conference is just a couple of weeks away, and we have some very great speakers. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. As always, thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.